Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy. And today we're going to be talking about Calvin Cater versus Josh Emmett because it's going down this Saturday night live in Austin, Texas from the Moody Center. What a name uh, for an arena. You got two top 10 featherweights trying to stake a claim that they could be potential front runners for the next title shot against the winner of Max Holloway versus Volkanovski 3. Calvin Cater, obviously known for his boxing for MMA, nasty jab, but it's not just that, man. I mean, the guy's durability is absolutely insane. You saw that last fight against Giga, been adding new wrinkles to his game. And Josh Emmett, one of the hardest hitters in the featherweight division, he's had seven fights at 145 pounds, 11 knockdowns in those seven fights. He's had a knockdown in every single one of his 145-pound fights, so... You could say that this is one of the hardest hitters in all the featherweight division, and it's not an argument when you have. Now, is it considered an 100% knockdown rate or is it over 100% just because he's landed more knockdowns than than fights he's had at featherweight uh, and every single fight included? It's just the first one he had against Felipe Aranches. He set the record for most knockdowns in featherweight history with four in that fight. So. The dude hits hard, but let's not let's not forget that this guy's a credentialed wrestler too. So there's a lot of elements to the table on both sides, and I'm excited to talk about this fight. So let's get right down to business, y'all. Everybody smash that like button, hit the subscribe button, share, comment, retweet, all that, and let's get down to business. So first up, we got Calvin Cater. He's 23 and 5, taking on Josh Emmett, who is 17 and 2. And currently they got it. Calvin Cater, minus 230. The comeback on Josh Emmett is plus 195. So it's interesting. Uh, Cater was a slight dog, maybe even pick him odds against Max Holloway. Then he was a huge dog against Giga Chikazi. Now he's a big favorite against Josh Emmett. So it's interesting how recency bias plays into the lines. And when you talk about a guy like Josh Emmett, most, most of the time, not always, but most of the time, he's actually the favorite. This kind of... I want to check the history, but this is one of the first times I've seen in a while that he's been this big of an underdog in a fight. Um, let me let me check if that's correct, because I, I can't recall the last time I saw Josh Emmett as a plus 200 dog. Not against Ige, not against Burgos. He, he was actually a dog against Mirsad Bektish, knocked him out with a jab. Look, he's been an underdog in some of these fights, but he's never been this big of an underdog since actually his fight against Ricardo Lamas in 2017 he was actually a bigger underdog he was a plus 245 dog when he sent uh, ricardo lamas into the shadow realm so you cannot sleep on this guy josh emmett's power for one second uh again seven fights at featherweight 11 knockdowns he's knocked down all seven of his opponents at 145 pounds so i guess the question is is he gonna be the first man in ufc history to knock down calvin cater now, Cater's there to be hit, man. I mean, according to the numbers, and we have a very good sample size, he gets hit, you know, close to eight times per minute. Now, one could make the argument those numbers might be skewed because of the Max Holloway fight. But even if we take away the Max Holloway fight, let's even talk about some of his wins. The fight against Giga Chikadze, 128 significant strikes absorbed. The fight against, I know the Shane Burgos fight, the Hanato Moicano fight, like, Calvin gets hit a lot. Even the fight where he knocked out Jeremy Stevens, he was getting tagged up early. So my thing is, 
I definitely view Calvin Cater as the minute winner here. You know, I definitely think that jab's going to be on point. And, and it's not just the boxing for MMA. This guy's been adding kicks to his game. You saw that last fight. He's spinning now. We're throwing spinning shit now, like uh, Nick Diaz would say. Those elbows were on point. And then also, he mixed in a takedown, which kind of threw a curveball and got Giga really tired. Now, I don't think that... Calvin's going to be able to take down a credentialed wrestler like Josh Emmett. But interestingly enough, the takedown stats for Josh Emmett ain't exactly the best. 58% defense, but the guy's able to pop right back up. He's really good at creating scrambles. So I actually wouldn't look too much into that takedown defense number for Emmett. And I honestly don't think that Cater is going to be coming out here taking down a guy like Emmett. So kind of the way I see this fight playing out Either guy could get an early knockout for sure. But if we're trying to look at it, if it goes five rounds, how's it going to go down? I think the minute winner is Calvin Cater. However, Emmett's got that ability to steal rounds. Like he could be getting jabbed up for four minutes straight, land one big shot that wobbles Cater, potentially become the first man to drop Cater, take it a step further, the first man to knock out Cater. Uh, If he's dropping or wobbling a guy like Cater, he can steal rounds like that, even if he's getting picked apart throughout the minutes so that's the big thing you got to look out for and then to take it a step further the odds like if i'm laying minus 230 on cater i want some guarantees like i want to know without a shadow of a doubt that he's going to come out here and take care of business and run through this guy no problem but i really do believe that the line is as juiced as it is as a result of that giga chikadze fight you know i was very wrong about that giga chikadze fight i thought that um, after the Max Holloway fight, I was thinking like, I think my exact words were like, you mean to tell me a one-dimensional boxer is going to beat Giga Chikadze in a fight? And the guy was not a one-dimensional boxer on the night. Mixing in takedowns, throwing elbows, even kicking with a guy like Giga. But even despite all the success he had, you go back to the numbers and he still ate over 100 significant strikes. You cannot afford to eat that many shots against a guy like Josh Emmett. Now, furthermore, there was that fight between Josh Emmett and Dan Ige, and it wasn't Emmett's best performance. We definitely got to get that out the way. It was kind of a sketchy performance on Josh Emmett's uh, part. Now, we also got to mention, Cater also had a bit of a sketchy fight with Dan Ige, too. So they both had sketchy fights with Dan Ige. Now, here's my thing. Here's, Here's one of the big questions that I need answered, and I think Saturday night will let me know. Because after the Burgos fight, a lot of y'all recall that Josh Emmett actually, I believe he tore his ACL. He was out for over a year and the guy, you know, had to get surgeries the whole bit. So he comes back in there against Dan Ige and doesn't quite look his best. Still gets another knockdown, right? But still doesn't quite look his best. Was that a case where... Josh Emmett just kind of need to get his feet wet and need to feel what it's like to, you know, have the UFC canvas under his, under him again and just kind of, you know, ease back into things. And now that he had that experience behind him, we're going to see the same Josh Emmett we saw against Shane Burgos, who I know Calvin Cater knocked out Shane Burgos, but Shane Burgos kind of has a similar body type to Calvin Cater, kind of a longer boxing oriented guy for MMA. Or... Was that Emmett fight a sign of a de- excuse me, that Ige fight a sign of a decline? That's that I really do not know because Emmett is getting up there in age. I believe my boy is 37 years old off the top of my head. 
Let me uh, double check that. Yeah, he's 37 years old. He's going to turn 38 in March. But he's he's also a guy that hasn't taken a lot of damage. It's just about does he still have the same explosion he once had after those knee surgeries? So a lot, a lot of questions here. That's why this is one of those great fights where they run it a few times and it's going to be a different outcome every time. Like I was talking about last week with the Jiri fight. And, you know, it's funny. I said there's no way Jiri submits Glover and then he submits Glover. But the reason I wasn't so confident, I did pick Jiri to win the fight. But the reason I wasn't just put it, I wasn't planting my flag is because I truly thought it was one of those fights that could literally go either way. And, and that's exactly how it played out. I mean, that fight had so many momentum swings. It was up and down. It was a true roller coaster of a fight. Honestly, one of the best fights I've ever seen. Man, I love everything about that Jiri versus Glover fight. And. The Cater versus Emmett fight, while I don't expect it to, you know, top Jiri versus, versus Glover for fight of the year, I think there's going to be a lot of momentum swings. I think there's going to be a lot of back and forth. And again, I see Cater being that minute winner. It's just, is Emmett going to be able to steal rounds? Is Emmett going to get knockdowns? Is Emmett going to mix in that last minute takedown after a close round, steal the rounds that way? possibly be the first man to knock down the the very very tough and durable calvin cater so it's tough man i mean look if this is a 50 50 fight if this is a pick em, i do lean cater again he's the minute winner here like he's going to be ahead on the numbers it's just <laughs> emmett has the great equalizer like there's this dude fighting in pfl this weekend named haush manfio y'all should check out my interview i did with him he's the pfl lightweight champion and dude will just be losing rounds and then he'll just knock you down at the end of a round. He'll just get that big takedown at the end of a round. He's so good at stealing rounds. Emmett has a similar quality, man. Like Emmett can just be getting tagged up with that jab, can be eating low kicks, this and that. But he lands one big overhand right, one big left hook, one uppercut, a nice blast double. He can steal rounds towards his favor. So I think that honestly kind of makes it a dogger pass situation. I mean, let me check where the odds open just out of curiosity. So. They open minus one, one seventy for for Cater, which I think is a, a lot more fair. I think minus one fifty to minus one seventy Cater is about accurate. It's just minus two thirty is where I draw the line because it's like, is it minus two thirty because Emmett is truly that bad or Emmett is on some decline, or is it that line because Calvin surprised a lot of people in the Giga Chikadze fight? Not all of us expected him to go out there and look the way he did. Even if you pick Calvin Cater, I don't think anyone thought that he was going to put, he was going to take Giga to school bell to bell. Like that was a phenomenal performance and to bounce back after the whooping he took against Max Holloway is truly admirable. So you got to give Cater a lot of respect. I mean, the guy's Boston strong. Uh, I, I think that that name is very, very fitting, even though that's Charles Rosa's nickname. Still, I think you can give that name to Cater. They call Cater the Boston finisher. And, uh, I remember when Cater first came into the UFC, people used to give him shit for calling himself the Boston finisher because a lot of his fights went to decision. But you got to understand when you're fighting at the highest level, like these guys are going to be really tough to finish, man. Like same thing with Emmett. Like uh, I posted earlier on Twitter about how Emmett's knocked down every single guy he's fought at featherweight. And someone was like, oh, yeah, but he's not finishing these guys. It's like, yeah, dude, when you're fighting the best guys in the world, not only are these guys in phenomenal shape, these guys got the heart, the will, the cardio they're able to survive they're durable but that don't let that take away you know don't don't let that uh distract you from the fact that emmett does pack a serious punch so 
I think Emmett should not be counted out here. I think it's a dogger pass situation. Will I pick him out right? It's tough, man. It's it's again, it's one of those fights where it's like, you know, I'm not trying to be Mr. Sit on the fence and then afterwards tweet about, oh, my lean was right. And, you know, I could have done that shit with that Lucas Almeida fight too, but like, that's not how I roll, man. If I bet on it, then I'll be like, oh, this cash. But if I'm just picking someone out right and not betting on it, I'm not going to sit here and go crazy, you know? Um, so, I mean, I lean cater is just that you can't count out a guy like Josh Emmett, especially at these odds. You just can't. Look at what the odds are. Plus 200 for a guy like Emmett. I mean, I don't blame anyone for taking that shot at all. Here's the thing, though. I'm basing that off if this is a five-round fight. I expect those momentum swings. I expect both guys to have success. But both guys are very potent finishers, and either guy could get an early finish, too. So Cater comes out here and stops Emmett early. Well, then it's going to look stupid to call it a dog or pass situation. I acknowledge that completely. It's just I have to look at it, you know, before the fact, assuming that it goes five rounds, assuming that, you know, we see this go the full 25 minute distance and take it from there. Um, it's tough to predict an early finish with guys at this level, at this caliber. Both guys are so hungry. Both guys are so skilled, so talented. They want to make a point. They want that shot against the winner of Volk versus Max. So I expect them to be there. It's just who's going to accumulate the damage. and then. Uh, on top of that, we talked about the hands. Are there going to be calf kicks? Is anybody going to be getting chopped down? Are there going to be takedowns mixed into the equation? So lots of questions. I lean cater. It's just when I when I say I lean someone, minus 240 is not a price of a lean. Minus 240 is like I need a, I need like to be damn sure, and I'm not damn sure. So that to me makes it a dogger pass situation. Let me know what y'all think, man. Um, let me read some of your questions uh, or comments. Nathan says he thinks Emmett gets picked off trying to close the distance. And Nathan, I mean, I can see that happening too. The thing, the thing though, man, is like I can see that happening for like four minutes, but one big shot from Emmett can completely change the tide of that round, right? So I agree with you. I do think Cater is going to be getting off on that jab. I do think Cater is going to be picking him off at distance. It's just... You look at how much Cater gets hit, Emmett's not a guy you want to get hit against. So what is going to happen when Emmett connects on Cater? That, that's one of the big questions. And then back to the whole thing with that Ige fight. They both had sketchy fights with Ige, but the Emmett one kind of stood out because he looked absolutely phenomenal against Shane Burgos. He looked like a guy who could potentially fight for a title against Shane Burgos. Comes back after that ACL reconstruction doesn't quite look the same, but that was his first fight back. Once again, I, I'm bringing up points I've already brought up. Did he kind of need to get his feet wet? Did he kind of need to be in there one time? We got that experience behind us. Now he's ready to perform at his optimal self again. So just so many questions, so much variance in a fight like this. Uh, Michael says, Cater has uh, been the, Cater has the later rounds, been in three, five round fights. Yeah, that's true. I mean, in the UFC, he has been in five-round fights. Uh, Emmett actually went the five-round distance outside the UFC, I believe, back in 2014. Let me double-check that. I mean, you know, it's been a long-ass time since then. It's been almost a fucking decade since then. But the reason I'm bringing it up is because Emmett does have five-round experience. It was just outside the UFC. 
It was in, and it was actually up at lightweight. It was in November 2014 against Brandon Rissetti, who was 7-0 at the time. Interesting. I'm curious what this dude's been up to. This dude uh, that he went five rounds with is now 9-2. and two. Actually won his last two fights, but never fought again after 2018. I guess the guy retired. Would have been interesting to see what would have happened there. Oh, Nick, great comment. Nick said, Texas judges are back. I know, right, man? I know. So, like, what are they going to favor more? If this fight goes the five-round distance and if there is not, you know, a finish or a knockdown, are they going to favor, you know, the volume of Cater? And when I say the volume, like, I don't want that to kind of seem like I'm taken away from the fact that Cater also has that one-hitter quitter. And it's not just the hands. It's also the elbows. It's also the kicks. It's also the spins for a guy like Cater. So there's just so much going on in a fight like this. Big Bird PH says that jab going to give Emmett a tour of the octagon. I mean, it could. I mean, look, if we're going jab for jab, if you put both these guys um, in front of a world-class boxing coach, the boxing coach is going to probably agree that Cater has the cleaner hands. No doubt about it. It's just, you know, these are four-ounce gloves. This is not, you know, 12-ounce gloves, 16-ounce gloves where you can shell up. And, you know, here it's just the littlest of openings to catch that temple, that chin. Um any sweet spot it takes to to knock someone unconscious with these four ounce gloves and with Emmett having an 100% knockdown rate at featherweight knocking down all seven guys he's fought um you just cannot write off that possibility even though we've never seen a guy like Cater get knocked out Cater is so goddamn durable Cater is so damn tough that it's hard to imagine just because we've never seen it before but just because we've never seen it before doesn't mean it can't happen so again so much variance in a fight like this and you know like i already prefaced it, it's kind of annoying not having a strong take it's kind of annoying acting like i'm sitting on the fence but you know i'm not gonna act like some genius after the fact but going going into it i do view this as a dogger pass situation um uh, how do you pronounce it kaya ricks he says could this look like font versus cheetah where emmett steals rounds with damage now that's a good question man um I do think even though um, Font and Cater have somewhat similar styles, very boxing-oriented for MMA, I think that Cater is a little bit tougher. Not that Font's not tough. Font's tough as fuck. It's just, you know, we've seen Font get dropped in other fights. We've seen Font, you know, even pull guard in fights before. Like, in that uh, Holloway versus Cater fight, when Cater was wobbling all over the place. He was still signaling Max to bring it on. I, I just think that even though they're boys, even though they got similar styles, I view Cater's toughness and durability on a different level than Font. However, your point is valid as hell because it's like that absolutely could happen. Like you can be tough as hell and still eat, you know, a shot to the chin or the temple against Josh Emmett with those four ounce gloves and go down regardless of how tough you are. So I do think you have a point. The only thing, the only like place I want to make that distinction, that differentiation, or that's not even a real word. The, the place I want to, you know, make those two fights different is that I don't think Cater's gonna start to, you know, wilt or start to accept defeat per se, right? I think Cater's gonna, as long as Cater's conscious, as long as Cater's not too badly compromised, I think he's gonna be trying for the whole five rounds or until he gets Emmett out of there or until he's knocked out himself. So I think that's one difference between them. Uh, let's see. 
Michael says, once Boston loses tonight, Cater will need to win to keep Boston strong. Oh, so you're picking uh, San Francisco. You're picking Golden State. I mean, they're up 3-2. It's just funny how, like, you know, just, just to talk about basketball for one quick sec, it's funny how, like, at first everyone was like, oh, Boston's going to kill them. And then uh, it's Golden State, San Francisco. They had this amazing performance. Now everyone's like, oh, they're going to win. And then Boston bounces back. It's been a lot of back and forth. Now that it's 3-2, everybody's on on, uh, on Golden State. So we don't know. We, we really don't know. Uh, Boston are going to fight with everything they got tonight. So I'm interested to see how that plays out. And shout out to the Atlanta Braves on a 14-game win streak. I was about to say 14-fight win streak. We might as well call it that. Uh, Mets fans are in absolute shambles right now. You love to see it. And the world champions will be back here soon. All right, let's see what else y'all are saying. And then I'm going to get to the next fight. So... Boom says, after that cater performance versus Giga, I favor him greatly. And Boom, I think that that's kind of like what the odds are saying as well, man. I mean, I think that that performance was such a great was such a great effort by Calvin Cater that now he's a minus 250 uh, favorite against Josh Emmett. The thing is that Josh Emmett presents a different puzzle than Giga Chikadze. Giga Chikadze is a long credentialed striker whereas josh emmett is a short stocky one hitter quitter guy with a wrestling background uh brandon said you talk about the docus fight yet nah brandon we're, we just talked about the the main event so far you know we start with the main event now with how these cards have been uh, but if you want to go back to the beginning you can hear the rest of the talk that we had about this main event we're about to wrap it up and get to the co-main event but uh yeah guys look i lead like i like i said if it's a coin flip fight i lean cater it's just Minus 250 odds are not indicative of a coin flip fight. So I see this at the betting window being a dogger pass situation. Let's see how it plays out. I'm very, very excited. If, if I think of anything else to add, I will do so. But for now, I think we covered this fight pretty thoroughly. Co-main event of the evening in the lightweight division. <laughs> Brandon said Jeremy Stevens looked up like it looked like a dried up skeleton on the scale. Hey, man, it ain't easy to make uh wait when you're almost 40 years old dude's had a long ass career and speaking of pfl y'all make sure you check out my channel i've been talking to a lot of these guys in pfl they're in atlanta for the next three weeks so you know shout out to pfl uh they hooked me up you know i'm gonna be going to all three events talking to the fighters doing the whole bit and big shout out to pfl because i didn't have to go there you know and like huddle around like you know and beg to ask a question like they let me like do it in my studio on my time so like pfl much love much respect truly appreciate that and we're gonna have some really good interviews coming but for now you can go check out i had a full sit down with haush manfio the lightweight champion got to talk to jeremy stevens uh emiliano sordi natan schulte clay collard who the fuck doesn't love clay collard right and a few others so make sure you'll check that out on my channel hit the subscribe button and then next week I'm working on it, guys. I'd love to have Anthony Pettis on uh, Dan's Tuesday Night Contender because, you know, I brought it back. Season two, uh, last Tuesday or a couple days ago, I had Haush Manfio, and I'm looking to get Anthony Pettis on next week. So we'll see how that goes. But anyways, co-main event of the evening, Donald Cowboy Cerrone. He's 36 and 16, taking on Joe Lozon, who's 28 and 15. Currently, they got it. Donald Cowboy Cerrone minus 170. The comeback on Joe Lozon is plus 140. So I want to uh, pull up Cerrone's accomplishments uh, just because the guy is a true legend of the sport. Like when you talk about a guy like Cerrone, <laughs> listen to this shit, guys. This guy, 
He's got the most wins in UFC history with 23 tied with Jim Miller and Andre Arlovsky. He's got the second most finishes in UFC history at 16. He's tied for the most bonuses in UFC history at 18 with Charles Dubronx Oliveira, who he beat, by the way, back in the day. He's got the third most bouts in UFC history with 37, second most wins in UFC lightweight history with 17, third most finishes in UFC lightweight history with 10, and to cap it all off, most knockdowns in UFC history with 20. So, I mean, Cowboy Cerrone is a guy that will always have my respect, is a true legend of the sport, is a guy that I grew up watching. I mean, I remember watching this guy in the WEC when I was in fucking high school. You understand what I'm saying? But to put that in perspective, guys, that was 2008, okay? That was over 10 years ago. Now, let's not get it twisted. Joe Lozon's no spring chicken either. I've been watching that dude since I was in high school too. It's just that the way that their careers have been panning out. Now, they've both taken a lot of damage, but Lozon's kind of taking the proper amount of time off. Cerrone's um, the opposite of unbeaten. He hasn't won a fight his last, his last six in a row, and like... Dude, we're talking a bunch of first-round knockout losses. Like, I just don't see the same Cerrone we once knew and loved. And it's sad to see when your favorite fighters go down that path. And that's just how, that's just the fight game, man. Like, at some point, when you fight like Cerrone fights, when you fight like a man, when you fight with your balls, and you go out there every single time, stand and bang with everybody. And even when he takes fights to the ground, I mean, the guy's got 17 submissions on his record, right? And oftentimes he would drop guys and then sub them. I mean, Cerrone's a true, true legend. It's just that my boy, Cowboy Cerrone, he's 39 years old, guys. 39 years old. Turns 40 in March. Um, you know, it's sad because I remember when Cowboy used to be the guy that fought like, you know, five to six to seven times a year. I remember when Cowboy would be racking up those bonuses every single fight. I believe one of the records that I mentioned, I think he's got the most head kick knockouts in UFC history, too. I remember even more recently, even though it was still a lot, a lot of fights ago, when he when he handled that kid, Alex Hernandez, very satisfying knockout. And then you can date back to the days when, you know, when he destroyed Dennis Seaver all the way back to the, the WEC. You should check out his one round fight with James Krause. Unbelievable fight in the WEC. I mean, Cerrone is just such a legend. But here's the thing, guys. Cerrone has always been a guy that's known for having those slow starts. But, you know, if he can get past that first round, you start to gas out on a guy like Cerrone. Then he starts to get into his rhythm. Then he starts to get into his flow. Then you start to see some beautiful combinations displayed, kind of like he showed in that Rick Story fight. I mean, that was like a video game combo. And then with Lozon, it's actually quite the opposite. Lozon is a very, very strong first-round finisher, man. I mean... Lozon's a guy that, like, if you're not quite woken up <laughs> when the bell rings, he's going to come out there and he's going to get you out of there right away. I mean, just to put it in perspective, we talked about Cerrone's accomplishments. Lozon's tied with Nate Diaz for the second most post-fight bonuses in UFC history with 15. He's got the most submission of the night honors in UFC history in UFC history with six. And he's got the second most finishes in UFC lightweight history with 13 right behind Cerrone. So these guys are literally the two most potent finishers in the history of the lightweight division. Now, I know Charles Dubronx Oliveira. You know, he's his numbers are getting up there. And obviously, he's in a much better place. He's the champ. But just saying for historical purposes... 
Cerrone and Lozon are the two. They they got the most finishes in, in lightweight history, man. It's pretty fucking awesome to see them uh, matched up. And you know how I mentioned that Cowboys got 17 submission wins? Guess who also has 17 submission wins? Lozon. And uh, Donald Cerrone has 10 knockout wins. Joe Lozon has nine knockout wins. So, I mean, these guys is, is such an even match. Now, here's the thing. Had this been a couple of years ago in Cerrone's prime, I definitely think he would have weathered the storm and just put it on Lozon, who historically goes so so hard, goes so balls to the wall in that early going that he doesn't have much left. And it's not that Lozon's not out here running his miles. I mean, the dude, he's been in the UFC since when? Since when has Lozon been in the UFC? Since he knocked out Jens Pulver in 2006. Do you under do you understand what I'm saying here? Like we're approaching nearly two decades nearly we're getting there you know what i'm saying so i really think that in Cerrone's prime he is able to weather that storm he is able to take lows onto those deep waters and just put it on him but those shaky early starts by Cerrone in his current state in his current form i just can't get past that I also can't get past laying nearly minus 170 on a guy who was on a six-fight losing streak. Yeah, oh, the Price fight was a draw. The Price fight was a draw because Price lost a point, but Price won more rounds than Cer- Price beat Cerrone. Let's not, let's not, the record might say one thing, but between the two of them, they, they know who won that fight, and we know who won that fight, so let's not bullshit. I think Lozon's going to finish him in the first round. I think this is an, another dogger pass situation. I think Lozon comes out here, blitzes Cerrone, and gets him out of there and retires him. And it's going to be sad. You know, it's going to be an emotional moment when Cerrone puts those gloves down in the center of the octagon, has that speech and, you know, all that jazz. Now, let me just say one more thing. There could be a live betting opportunity if by some stretch of the imagination, Cerrone's not out of there, Lozon blows his load, and then we see rounds two and three. Maybe there, maybe there's a live betting angle for Cerrone there, possibly. But I'm leaning with that Lozon first round finish, man. And Booms brought up a great uh, point. He said, "I still remember Loz- Lozon's first round rear naked choke on Melvin Gillard. He was a beast back then. You know that was actually the first UFC event I ever attended, and it was interestingly enough, it was also in Texas, not in Austin. It was in Houston. It was UFC 136. It was the night that." Frankie Edgar and Gray Maynard had the trilogy. And man, Melvin Gillard, dude, he was walking out as if the fight had already been won before the fight even started. Walking out cocky. He was on a big win streak. He was knocking everybody out left and right. Lozon goes out there, drops him, takes his back, and chokes him out. And then let's not forget about Cerrone's fight with Melvin Gillard. Cerrone gets rocked early. Then Cerrone lands a nasty head kick and uh followed by a straight punch and, and knocks him out so man good memory man you know it, it brings back a i want to say tears of joy you know thinking about fights like that man like those, those were the days but uh again it's sad this would have never happened a few years back but it's gonna happen i think saturday night and my boy says rome was the greatest empire ever yeah and even that fell right so i'm going i'm going Joe Lozon via first round finish. I don't know if it's going to be a knockout. I don't know if it's going to be a submission. I'm just going to go first round finish. But again, if by some stretch of the imagination, Cerrone can weather the storm and he's not too badly compromised and you start to see Lozon huffing and puffing on that, on that stool between rounds, 
there might be an angle for a live bet on Cerrone, but before the fact, I'm not laying no minus 170 on this current form of Cerrone. And uh, I'm, I'm going Lowe's on first round finish. Brandon says, you guys seen the old video of Joe Lowe's on whooping his brother's ass in the front yard? It sounds familiar. Like, do you remember, you know, since you brought that up, so his brother Dan Lowe's on, you know, there, oftentimes there's the good brother and the shitty brother, and no no disrespect. You know, that's just how it kind of goes. Not always. I mean, the Diaz brothers in their primes were both good. Pettis brothers both won belts, but then there's, like, the Miller brothers. Jim Miller was the, you know, Jim Miller is the fucking man. Dan Miller was just kind of average, right? So in the Lozon case, Joe was the good brother. Dan was was the, you know. And uh, Dan Lozon at one point even talked shit about Joe. Like, this was like 10 fucking years ago. Like, on some website, they had a whole falling out. Very curious how Thanksgiving was after that. But, uh, yeah, um, I'm glad you're, man, just keep bringing up these memories, man. Because, like, we, we can go back, you know. It, it's awesome to hear about, you know, the times when, when we first started watching MMA, the times when we could consider them the glory years or this or that. So it's it's pretty awesome that you brought that up. All right, featured bout in the welterweight division. We got Tim, the Dirty Bird means he's 32 and 12, taking on Kevin Holland, who is 22 and 7. And currently, they got it. Holy shit. Kevin Holland minus 300. The comeback on Tim means is plus 250. Now, I'm curious where this fight opened. It opened. Oh, okay, it actually opened minus 310, uh, Kevin Holland. And I mean, like, Shout out to Holland. I cashed on. I've cashed on him a lot of times, but man, he makes me sweat every single time I fucking bet on him. When I bet on him against Darren Stewart, like, look, it's one thing to get taken down by Vittori and Brunson. We won't hold that against you. But when you're getting taken down by Darren Stewart three fucking times in that third round, oh my God, shit was getting sketchy. It was like, dude, a lot of people even thought that Stewart might have won the fight. I, I was happy they gave it to Holland because I had a bet on Holland, but God damn, man. And then that last fight with Alex Cowboy, I bet on him there uh, as well. And um, first round, he made me sweat again. But then second round, it kind of took care of business. So, like, here in a fight like Tim uh, against a guy like Tim Means, like, once again, I need guarantees if we're talking minus 300. Like, we got guarantees that Alex Cowboy is a bit of a stunt puller. Now, we also do have guarantees that Tim Means, true legend of the sport, someone that I got so much admiration for, also kind of getting up there in age. You know, he was born in 1984. He's had so many damn fights. He's been there. He's done that. The durability, it's still there. It's just not quite what it once was. I mean, and we we always talk about the sharp striking of Tim Means, but let's not sleep on, on his takedown ability. I mean, he's hit takedowns in like, most of his last few fights, hit one against uh, – Nick Dalby hit one against Staropoli, even hit one in that loss against uh, D-Rod, hit one against Nico Price, hit two against Ricky Rainey. So I'm just saying, like, just because we know Tim Means as this, you know, very good boxing for MMA type guy, he can also mix in takedowns. And I haven't seen that takedown defense of Holland get patched up too much. I know he's allegedly been working on it, and maybe it's improved a bit, but to actually sit here and act like, you know, he's going to be stuffing every takedown now. It's just false. I mean, you just look at the numbers. The Alex Cowboy fight, Alex took him down twice. Kyle Dawkins fight, Kyle took him down once. Marvin Vittori took him down 11 times, y'all. Derek Brunson took him down six times. Jacare Souza took him down twice. Darren Stewart took him down three times. So Kevin Holland's there to be taken down. It's just this is one of those fights where it's like, 
Tim Means could be lighting him up. Tim Means could be mixing in takedowns. But Kevin Holland is a super talented guy. Kevin Holland's a super long guy. He's six foot three with an 81 inch reach. Like, I know Tim Means is tall too, but like Holland's taller, Holland's longer, and Holland. Now, his stance is orthodox, but his style is unorthodox. He'll, I mean, the way he knocked out Jacare off his back, like he'll do some shit you just don't expect. So I kind of see it being that fight where, you know, Tim Means is having some early success and Holland, you know, lands a nasty straight right, knocks him out. Holland secures a guillotine choke. Holland does something along the way, some kind of opportunistic finish. It's just, again, when, when we're talking minus 300, like, I don't want no comeback finish. I want my guy to dominate the fight like bell to bell. So that's why I kind of don't want to lay minus 300 on Holland. But I mean, my pick is Holland and all due respect to Tim Means. I mean, what's there bad to say about Tim Means? The guy been paying his dues for years has always done things the right way. Like fucking love Tim Means and he's super exciting to watch. So you'll never catch me saying anything bad about Tim Means. It's just more so another thing I want to say though. Holland's last fight at 170, he definitely got the job done for sure. I didn't think he looked his best though, and I think that that was due to the weight cut. You know, he, when he was fighting at 85s, dude was like walking in at like 183 pounds, right? Like was cutting literally zero weight. So now he's actually cutting weight, which on one hand you can view it as, hey, now he's acting like a professional. But on the other hand, you got to get acclimated to the weight class. I mean, 15 pounds is a big drop. So hopefully this is that fight where you know he got that first experience under his belt and i say first experience i mean first experience in the ufc because actually outside the ufc he fought at 170 now he beat jeff neal outside the ufc the jeff neal fight was actually at 185 but prior to the jeff neal fight he had fought at 170 on, on the regional scene you know he actually lost to curtis melender but we, we ain't going to talk about that right <laughs> but and shout out to my boy nitran who was the only man in mma history to knock out uh curtis melender and he's fighting impa next so They'll keep a lookout. We get a win there. I think he's back in the big show. So Kevin Holland, I think it's going to be an opportunistic finish somewhere along the way. JSJ23 said, Kevin Holland, potential title contender at 170. Uh, let me, let, let's pull up the rankings and see. Let's, let's pull up the rankings and see what we're working with here. So is Kevin Holland a potential title challenger at 170? Well, Number 15 is Shafkat Rachmanov. I don't see that one going Kevin's way. Number 14, Michelle Pereira. That's a tough fight. 13, Lee Jingliang. I could, I could see, I could see uh, Kevin getting that one. 12, Jeff Neal already beat him. 11, Michael Chiesa. Okay, I definitely got Kevin over Michael Chiesa. I definitely got him over Neil Magny. And I even got him over Wonderboy. I got him over Masvidal. It's just when you're talking about you know, a guy like Sean Brady, who might not be the most exciting guy, but is just super good at neutralizing people. When you're talking about the Vicente Luque's who, man, Vicente Luque, you saw how he can chop down, you know, long guys like Randy Brown. Bilal Muhammad, such a disciplined guy with his approach. Gilbert Durinho, boy, has he come a long way. Hamza Chimaev, Leon Edwards, Colby Covington, Kamaru Usman. I don't, I don't know, brother. I don't know. Like, I think, uh, yeah, you said it right. You said, he said they'd have to match up Kevin very carefully if they want him in the top five. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm thinking if we want to get Kevin a title shot, you know, he's got to get past Tim means first. Then we do Lijing Liang. Then we do Kiesa. Then we do Magni. Then we do Steven Wonderboy. Then we do Masvidal. If Masvidal would take the floor, if, if Masvidal would take the fight, 
if we do those fights, then yeah, maybe he could be a potential title challenger. It's just when you're talking about the Brady's, the Bilal's, the Gilbert Dorinos, the Hamzas, the Leon's, the Colby's, the the Camaroos. I don't I don't see that going Kevin's way. And I, I love Kevin. Kevin's so exciting to watch. I love his personality. I love his fighting style. It's just that weakness in his wrestling, although he's been trying to address it. When you're talking about these guys like Kamaru and, and Colby, these guys have been wrestling for their life. These guys are lifetime wrestlers, man. And you know, one or two, one or two years, you can make incremental improvements, no doubt about it. But to be on the level of these collegiate wrestlers is just, you know, you'd have to hope that these guys fought Kevin a certain way. You'd have to hope that these guys want to stand and bang with Kevin. And even in those kind of fights, I'm not convinced Kevin wins. Um, those guys are good everywhere the fight goes, even though they're just considered wrestlers. Like, make no mistake about it. I mean, Kamaru Usman's been knocking people out too. Colby Covington might not have that one-hitter quitter, but he's put some volume and some numbers on some guys standing as well. Uh, Bilal Muhammad, like, he might not be known for being a finisher, but just ask uh, ask Vicente Luque what that body kick felt like. And trust me, he'll let you know that uh, Bilal's no slouch standing either. So, yeah. But back to this fight, man. Again. Like, it's one of those things where I actually do think that Tim Means, he's got the more output. He's got the better defense. I actually kind of think that skill for skill, he might be better. It's just that Kevin Holland has that way of getting those opportunistic finishes, creating chaos, doing stuff that you watch tape and you, you just can't cap things that he does. Like, that finish over Jacare, you can watch every single fight of Jacare's career. You can watch every single fight of Kevin Holland's career. And none of us, myself included, are going to come up with the conclusion that, you know what? <laughs> Kevin Holland's going to be off his back and he's going to knock out Jacare with punches off his back. Like, you, you're just not going to come up with that conclusion. So, Kevin Holland's a high variance type fighter. He does shit you don't see other guys do. And that's why we love him, in addition to his great personality. So, I see Kevin Holland being opportunistic, finding a way to make it happen. I just don't know how it's going to be. And I don't know how the fight is going to take place up until that point comes because Tim Means is no slouch at all. Tim Means is well rounded. Tim Means is experienced. So, give me Kevin Holland somewhere along the way. Just not quite convinced he covers that minus 300. Now, also on the main card, we got a matchup between Joaquin Buckley, who's 14 and 4, taking Albert Durayev, who is 15 and 3. Currently, they got a Albert Durayev minus 240, the comeback on Joaquin Buckley's plus 200. Also curious where this fight opened. I'll let y'all know in a second. Okay, so it opened minus 160 for Durayev. So Vegas is thinking it's a little bit closer than what the odds currently are. Another tough one, man. Another really tough one because you see odds like this on a guy like Buckley. I mean, Buckley, at least win, lose, or draw, he's going to go out on a shield. Win, lose, or draw, this guy's going to try his best. He's going to swing big bombs. And you've been seeing new elements added to his game. I mean, he hit five takedowns his last fight. And that wasn't the only fight that he's hit takedowns in. Uh, let me pull up his numbers real quick. Um, hit five takedowns against Razak. Hit one takedown against Ahoyo. Hit one takedown against Impa Kasanganai before landing the knockout of the year. And speaking of Impa, like I just mentioned, my boy Jared Gooden's fighting Impa uh, next. So after Jared gets this win, and all due respect to Impa, very, very nice guy. I got, I actually got a lot of respect for Impa. I've even seen him fight live before in Atlanta. Um, I just think, you know, for not only am I biased towards Jared, but I, I think Jared's a different beast. Uh, and I think he's got something for Impa, but all respect to Impa. So anyways, the point I was trying to make is that Buckley, 
we know him as this kind of brawling type guy, but he can also mix in takedowns too. And then with Albert Duraev, man, I mean, it's not often I pick against Russians, man. Now, I did pick against a Russian last week, uh, the uh, Jack Della Madalena fight versus Ramazan Amiv. I, I took Della in that spot, and you know I was right about that. But this is a little bit different because I kind of saw a bit of a decline from Amiv, whereas Duraev, I mean, he's my age. He's Well, he's actually a little bit older. He's 33. I'm 32. I mean, I think that he's kind of he's still a hungry guy. I think he's a well-rounded guy. I think he's got big power. I think his grappling chops are on point. The only issue with a guy like Albert Duraev is actually a similar issue that Buckley has. There might be a little bit, you know, the, the, the chin might be a little bit suspect. Uh, my boy Nathan said, what organization for Jared versus Impa? It's um, XMMA, the, the same one that Jared just knocked out Curtis Melender in XMMA. And I think it's in Myrtle Beach, I believe. Um, but anyways, back to this. So Duraev and Buckley, both very offensively potent, but defensively is where you kind of draw the line and then there have been some gassing issues too and again not because these guys aren't running their miles you see the physique of both these guys you know these guys are in great shape it's just these guys put on the kind of shows the fans want to see these guys go balls to the wall and as a result you're going to get tired fighting like that not to mention in buckley's last fight so he landed five takedowns he attempted eight takedowns. When you attempt eight takedowns, man, like you're going to get tired unless like we're talking like a Bryce Mitchell, unless we're talking like a Bilal Muhammad, like you're going to get fucking tired, you know, doing shit like that. Um, and my buddy said, surprise Eagle FC didn't keep Impa signed. You know, I, it's not that they necessarily didn't keep him signed. I think they kind of just do like those one fight deals. So I could see like Impa taking this fight and then maybe having another fight in Eagle FC. Like, I don't think they signed them to like long term contracts unless it's like we're talking about like the bigger name. So it's not like he got released or something. I think he probably just had a one or two fight contract with them and kind of, you know, played it out. And, you know, he's just this, this is the regional scene, man. You know, that when you're not in the UFC, you got to take every opportunity you can get. Unless we're talking like PFL, unless we're talking like even Bellator's. When was the last time Bellator had a show? <laughs> Can y'all tell me? Because it's been a long ass fucking time, hasn't it? Uh, but PFL's been on their shit, man. PFL, hey, shout out PFL, man. I like what they're doing. But um, back to this. The reason that you saw Buckley gas so badly in that third round was because when you're attempting eight takedowns, and that's not necessarily your style. Well, props to you for hitting five of those. Like that's 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 big. It's just attempting takedowns i can say this as a grappler myself like again i'm not i'm no fighter i'm no black belt but i do have a little bit of experience grappling i am a purple belt now attempting takedowns takes a lot of fucking energy man you're gonna get very very tired attempting that many takedowns drive has had similar issues drives also been knocked out three times before but buckley's also been knocked out three times so the chins on both sides are in question it's not that the gas tanks are in question. It's more so that both guys are going to go for it. The both guys are going to fight for your money. So you got to love that as a result, that is going to tax your cardio a bit. So who's the more skilled guy? That's the big question. And sometimes that doesn't even matter because I think the more skilled guy is Albert Duraev, but you know, Joaquin Buckley hits him properly on the chin and it doesn't matter who the more skilled guy is. So, and I like Buckley a lot, man. He's so exciting to watch. I was completely wrong about him. You know, when he first came into the UFC, I thought he was just some club fighter. It turns out he's a pretty skilled guy. He's super entertaining. 
And he's also like, isn't he like five foot eight? No, he's five ten actually. Yeah. Um, he's kind of a smaller guy for the weight class. People told him he should fight at 170, but you know, he's built, he's cocked. Uh I, I'm a fan of Buckley. I met him in Florida, super nice guy, rooting for him. I kind of lean Duraev here, man. As long as Duraev's not badly compromised, as long as Duraev's not knocked out, I don't think Buckley's gonna be able to outgrapple him. For Buckley to outgrapple Duraev, Duraev's, Duraev's gotta be severely exhausted for that to happen but both fresh i think derives the better guy i think derive grinds this one out and possibly possibly a knockout on either side don't write that off but if it goes three uh, i'm leaning with derive uh to get it done but again when we talk about leans minus 240 is not a line of a lean minus 240 is a line where i need guarantees um and i don't have any guarantees here but my pick is albert derive now next up in the lightweight division, I'm very excited to talk about this fight. We got Demir Ismagulov. He's 23 and one, representing Kazakhstan, taking on Guramku Tateladze, who's 12 and two, representing Georgia. Now, not my Georgia, you know, Georgia over there uh, next to Russia. Currently, they got it. Demir Ismagulov minus 148. The comeback on Guramku Tateladze is plus 128. Also curious where this line opened. It opened minus 180. Demir. Uh, plus 155 for a Guram. And uh, my boy Boom said this card is mad underrated. I agree. Like, th- this is a fucking fantastic fight night card. I mean, you guys know I always shoot straight. Like, remember when they did that fucking uh, card with um, Mike Jackson versus Dean Barry? And I purposely did not do a podcast because I'm not going to be caught dead talking about a fight like that, even though I'm talking about a fight like that right now. But you understand what I'm saying. Like, when you when you give us a fight night like this, like... This is a serious-ass fight night. But anyways, currently they got it. I forgot if I read the odds or not, but they got it. Demir, minus 148. The comeback on Guram's plus 128. Oh, yeah, I did read the odds. And like I mentioned, uh, Demir opened minus 180 in the spot, which I kind of think is a little bit more accurate, and let me explain why. Demir is Magulov. Man, I think that this guy is so goddamn talented. I think both these guys are actually pretty, pretty damn good. I mean, like, just to put it into consider, just to, like, put some context into it i think both these guys are arguably top 15 guys right now i mean look when you look at the top 15 rankings in the lightweight division number nine is tony ferguson number 13 is dan hooker you mean to tell me with a straight face that demir is magulov and guram kutate ladze can't go out there and beat tony ferguson they can't go out there and beat dan hooker right now well i disagree i think they can therefore i think they're both top 15 guys take it a step further Guram beat uh, Gamrot, who's number 12. So I think both these guys are top 15 guys right now. That's how good I think these guys are. I think Demir Ismagulov is actually kind of special, man. Like, it might not be the most exciting style to, to watch, per se. But, like, dude, when you look at these numbers, like, the guy barely gets touched. I mean, absorbs 1.9 strikes per minute. That's beautiful. A hundred percent takedown defense. That's that's gorgeous. I mean, those are and, and we got an hour sample size. It's not like we got you know a couple two minute fights and we're you know exaggerating some stats. We got a motherfucking hour sample size. Um, the nineties says Demir's chin worries me. Listen, there's always a flaw with every fighter, but at the same time. The guy he fought, Rafael Alves, is a very explosive and strong guy who 
goes balls to the wall, who attacks his opponents. And I like the recoverability from Demir, man. I mean, when Demir got dropped in that first round, he was able to recover quickly. Then he gets on top of Rafael and arguably gets a 10-8 round. Just you can't give a 10-8 because he got knocked down. But had there not been a knockdown, it would have been a 10-8 round. Like, I like how fast he recovers. I like his heart. But I do agree with you, you know, if we had to make some kind of weakness per se. But, like, when I think of someone being chinny, you know, I'm thinking of someone getting dropped by jabs. I'm thinking of, you know, someone getting, uh, you know, just wobbled all over the place. I think that, you know, Demir, we have an hour sample size of Demir standing with these guys. So at some point he's going to get clipped. And I liked how he reacted to it, man. Um, I thought he reacted really well. I think that Demir's got some very sharp hands. I think that jab is absolutely on point. I think the way he sets up his big punches, like his left hook, his big rights, like, man, like, I uh, I like everything about this kid, Demir Ismagulov, man. And the numbers are just beautiful. Like, I, I light up when I talk about this kid. I mean, like, again, when you're landing near four strikes per minute and you're barely getting touched two times per minute. Your defense is 65%. Your takedown defense is a hundred percent. Like, dude, like those are beautiful fucking numbers, man. And, and my boy, John Lee said, hammer the like button. I appreciate that, man. I, hey, listen, listen to this guy. This is a smart guy. He said, hammer the like button. Y'all will do me a huge favor by hammering that like button. And if you're not subscribed, Please subscribe. Like, what are, what are y'all waiting for, man? Like, you know, we, we ain't they're saying, you know, we ain't got no big websites pushing us. It's just me and you guys. So let's let's grow this fucking channel, man. Now, let's talk about his opponent, Guram Kutateladze. Obviously a very tough guy. I mean, you know where he comes from. He comes from Georgia. He's a, he's super tough. And I love Guram's kicking game. I mean, super hard kicker, but it's not just that he's a hard kicker it's the dexterity and the flexibility uh you saw that axe kick he attempted against uh gamera like that's not just something that you can just decide to spam one day that's this is a dude who probably stretches for like an hour before and after practice and can do kinds of kicks that other people can't do and then to take it a step further when he got taken down by gamera now oftentimes i don't like guys going for rubber guard but uh <laughs> But uh, this dude, like, I was impressed by the flexibility. I was impressed by the fact that, like, uh, Gamrot had a hard time passing the guard of Guram. So I, I think Guram's legit. I, I really do. It's just I think he's legit top 15, whereas I think Demir might actually be, like, a future top five guy. Like, I, I think – now, I could be wrong. I, I've been wrong before. Hold on one second. I've been wrong before and I'll be wrong again, but I think there might actually be something special about this guy. Demir rarely takes any damage is always ahead of his opponents does just enough to, to be ahead and not just on the strike numbers, but he can mix in that occasional takedown if he wants the takedown defense is a hundred percent. Like it's just that since he's not the most flashy guy and he doesn't speak a word of English, doesn't quite have the hype he deserves. Right. But, the skills are there, man. The skills are fucking there. I'm telling y'all. So honestly, I know a lot of people are saying it's a dogger pass situation. And on one hand, like I feel where they're coming from in the sense that you get dog odds on a dude as skilled as Guram, then hey, like, you know, I, he's going to fight for your money. Like I respect that. 
I just think he's running into a guy who could potentially be a top five guy, could potentially fight for a title one day. We just got to get Demir to speak a couple words of English. Like, dude, your English doesn't have to be perfect. Like, just the fact that, like, if you can just make this much effort, just say, I you kill you, you know, just say something like that, dude, and we'll all fucking go crazy, right? Like, you don't you don't have to speak it fluently. Just say a couple things. Like, like, like who, who's in the top five? Like, say, Tony Ferguson, I you fuck you up. You know, just say something like that, dude. We'll go crazy. You don't got to say nothing else. Just leave it at that, man. Like, a little bit more effort on the promotional side of things, and I think Demir can be in there with those you know, top 10, top five guys. I think he's got the skill level right now. One thing we got to mention, though, that last fight had a terrible weight miss. I mean, like, he missed weight by, like, fucking, what, six, seven pounds? Um, and the fight got canceled. Now, I heard he was really sick. I'm not making excuses. I'm just relaying what I heard. But I also looked on his Instagram, and the dude looks in absolutely phenomenal shape. It looks like that kind of you know, put a chip on his shoulder and kind of burnt a fire under his ass and let him know, like, like, dude, like, uh, I need to, I need, I need, like he, all these wins have been coming so easily to him that who knows what happened. Maybe he got cocky or maybe he was legitimately sick and it affected his weight cut. But either way, I don't think that's going to be an issue Saturday night or Saturday afternoon in Austin, Texas. But then again, we got to go back to the judges. Those Texas judges are something else. Are they going to favor the hard kicks of Guram? Or are they going to favor the pinpoint hands of a guy like Demir? Well, oftentimes these are former boxing judges. So I have to, my inkling is they favor the hands. And I favor the hands too. I favor the experience. I favor the fight IQ. I'm going Demir here. And I'm considering a bet, honestly. I, I just, uh, a lot of action's been coming in on Guram. And again, I understand why. Guram's legit. Guram's going to fight for your money. Guram is going to go for it. Guram's no slouch at all. I just think he's running into a special fighter. Maybe I'm wrong in that assessment. I've been wrong before. We'll be wrong many times again. Um, but let's see Let's see if I'm right about this one. So I'm going Demir Ismagula via unanimous decision here. Let me see what y'all are saying. My boy Marcus Williams says he's enjoying the show. Hey, if y'all are in ATL, make sure y'all hit up my boy, the Nubian Bookstore. You know, got to represent. You know, shout out to you, Marcus. Keep up the great work. I appreciate your support. Love to support your store. Gonna have to come in there, man, hang out sometime. And uh, it's important for kids these days to start reading again, right, Marcus? So much love, man. Damn, my boy Dominic was talking shit. He says, I'll address it. Um, he said not to take a shot, but when Dan moves a fighter and Clint is backing the other dude, you smash Dan side. Listen, man, Clint is a guy that I really like. Clint's a guy that's always had my back. Clint's a guy that's always showed me a lot of support and I'll do the same with him. You know, it might be fun to have a little back and forth competitive talk. Oh, I'm on this side. You're on this side. Let's see who's right. But I mean, there's been times when I've been, when we've been on opposite sides and he's been right and I've been wrong. So it's not, it's not that black and white. Um, I, I am, you know, obviously I'm rooting for myself, right? <laughs> you know, obviously I hope I'm the one that's right here. But like Clint's one of the nicest guys in the industry. And I'm really happy for him for, you know, what he's created, what he's built, positive vibes always. So Clint's a guy that'll always have my respect, man. I, I, I like that guy a lot. But that being said, hopefully we're right about Demir on this one, right? Hopefully uh, we cash this ticket. And um, if we do, I, I have no doubt Clint uh, will bounce back after that for sure. You know, Clint's a guy that's truly, uh, you know, passionate uh, about this sport as well. All right. Now, K 
kicking off the main car, we got a matchup in the middleweight division between Julian Marquez. He's nine and two, taking on Gregory Hobokov Rodriguez, who's eleven and four. Currently, they got it. Gregory Rodriguez minus one eighty. The comeback on Julian Marquez is plus one fifty eight. This, this, this is a funny fight because it's like Gregory Rodriguez is literally better than Julian Marquez everywhere. Cleaner hands, harder punches. Black belt in jiu-jitsu, opportunistic takedowns. It's just Julian Marquez is one of those dudes that will literally get his ass whooped the whole fight and then will finish you. I mean, like the Phil Haas fight, he was getting taken to school and then he finished the guy. The Mackie Patola fight was getting taken to school and then he found a way to finish the guy. Like Robocop, like, you know, that last fight with Robocop, even though I kind of thought he won at the time, like, Robocop, like, dude, like, you had you were in there with a K1 striker. You're this black belt in jujitsu. You had one job. Like, let's take this guy's back one time, choke him out, go home. And what does he do? He he does the classic, I'm gonna stand and bang with Paul Daly game plan. So it's like Robocop's better than this guy everywhere. Julian Marcus, it's like, how is he gonna fuck this up? How is he going to be ahead on all the scorecards and find a way to get finished in that third round? And it's just, it's unbelievable. I mean, Robocop, again, very hard hitter, very physically imposing. He can do it all, man. He can mix and take downs. His jujitsu is on point. Like I said, the punching power. I like everything about Robocop minus the decision making and the chin from time to time can, you know, is a little suspect. I mean, y'all know Jordan Williams knocked him out, right? And he's been dropped in other fights as well. Also, the gas tank, you know, he's a very heavily built, muscular guy with that physique that requires a lot of oxygen to those muscles, man. And, uh, yeah, so it's just like to me, I think he's I, I think he's going to be owning Julian Marquez. I think he's going to be destroying Julian Marquez. It's just, is he going to be destroying Julian Marquez to the point where he finally gets his arm raised? Or is he going to be destroying Julian Marquez, gas out, get clipped? shoot a sloppy shot get guillotine like like so i don't know i just cannot lay a price like this on on hobo cop like i think robocop's awesome man i think he's got all the skills to beat this guy i think he's way better than this guy it's just like how are you gonna fuck this one up for us right that's what i'm worried about and then julian marquez is the guy who will look terrible the whole fight and then find a way to finish you so that that's that's my concern to be honest. So my pick is RoboCop is just like what well, like I, I I'm worried, bro. I'm worried about some uh some kind of decision making. Alex said writing off Robocop after a war split decision. I'm not writing off Robocop. That's not I pretty damn sure I just said Robocop's better than this guy everywhere. What I'm not writing off, however, is Robocop finding a way to fuck this up. That's what I'm not writing off. Like we we all know all of us know that Robocop's more skilled than this guy. That's not a question here. Like in every area of the board, too. Like, there's not one area of MMA that I don't think Robocop's better than than Julian Marquez in. It's just is that shin gonna get touched? Is he gonna gas out after a great start? Is he gonna fight a dumb game plan? Like, you know, at like minus 180 to minus 200, I need all my bases covered and Based off what I've seen decision-making-wise, I can't trust RoboCop, but I will pick him to win because I think he's far more skilled, like far more skilled than Julian Marquez. It's just, 
you know how how are you gonna how are you gonna blow this lead you know like it's like a the falcons 28 to 3 uh type situation you know um you know we don't like to talk about that but it kind of reminds me of that a little bit now next up in the bandwidth division we got a matchup between adrian yanez he's 15 and 3 taking on tony kelly who is 8 and 2 currently they got a Adrian Yanez minus 280. The comeback on Tony Kelly's plus 240. It was originally like minus 400, Adrian Yanez, which I thought was a little out there. Um, listen, I like Adrian Yanez a lot. Very clean hands for, uh, sorry, did I say 21 to three? I meant 28 to three. I, de- I definitely meant 28 to three. I I said, didn't I say 28 to three or, or, am, or am I not even aware of what I'm saying? I don't know. But what I meant was 28 to three. Anyways. Adrian Yanez, 15-3. Tony Kelly, 8-2. Currently, they got it. Minus 280. Adrian Yanez, plus 2. Just depends where you look. I see a plus 260 on Tony Kelly. Um, So, Adrian Yanez, for MMA standards, very clean, sharp hands. Don't sleep on his kicking game either. It's been getting better. Um, His takedown defense has also improved. Because, like, back in the day, you look at his only losses, like the fight against, like, Miles Johns. Like Miles Johns literally put his head between um, Adrian Yanez's legs and prayed for dear life and somehow got a split. The Domingo Pilarte fight, like Domingo Pilarte was literally running away. The ref had to warn him for timidity. It's like some of those losses, the only true loss Giannis has had was actually, I believe, his second pro fight against Levi Moles. Levi Moles <laughs> whooped him. And, man, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed in Levi Moles. I think he retired recently, and this guy was, like, on the cusp of making it to the UFC was beating all the guys he needed to beat on his regional scene and just like had enough. I even had a bet on him against Justin Scoggins recently and he pulled out the fight and retired. I was like, what the fuck, man? Like you're super talented. You're like on the cusp of that UFC shot and you give up sad, but I, I wish him the best. I like how he spells his first name. Kind of like how I spell my last name, just pronounced different. He's the only guy to truly beat Adrian Yanez. Um, so the thing here with Tony Kelly is, Oh, people are mad that Tony Kelly called a Brazilian dirty, which like, you know, I don't talk like that personally and I don't advocate what he said. I think y'all should be more concerned about the fact that Tony Kelly's girlfriend's a Nazi sympathizer. I think that's a lot worse than what Tony Kelly said personally. I mean, I don't advocate either. I just think one's worse than the other. But I think that the line is as wide as it is because Tony Kelly is not a nice guy, but it's like. You don't need to be a nice guy to win an MMA fight. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? So I see this being a close competitive fight. I mean, like I give the edge to Yanez, especially with it being in Texas. I think the Texas judges are going to like the Texas poster boy, but we can't sit here and act like, I mean, at least I think, you know, that, that it's going to be smooth sailing. I mean, like that fight with, let's not even talk about the David Grant fight, which was a great fight, but that, that's the one everyone keeps bringing up let's talk about the randy costa fight like was randy costa not just absolutely lighting up adrian yanez making me sweat every single second of that bet i had on adrian yanez like getting jabbed at will but we know that randy costa's never won a fight that's gone past the first round now not to bring up mma math or anything but i'm kind of going to when tony kelly fought randy costa there was like zero adversity to overcome he was one-way traffic he just broke the kid right off the bat whereas like we when adrian Yanez was fighting randy costa we were like holy shit is adrian about to get knocked out like it was getting sketchy at times man and when randy when uh tony fought randy i mean he just broke the kid he just put it on him right away but this is a different matchup randy costa's not fighting here this is tony kelly versus adrian Yanez. 
it's a tough one because Tony Kelly's kind of like a longer, taller guy for the bantamweight division. Switches his stances nicely. He's got really good output as well. He's according to the numbers, he's more accurate than uh, Adrian Yanez. Um, but Adrian Yanez loved the pairing game, loved the subtle head movement, loved the fact that he's been starting to mix in kicks into his game. It's just that he absorbs a lot of fucking strikes. I mean, he absorbs nearly six strikes per minute. And someone's going to capitalize on that. I'm not sure if it's Tony Kelly. I'm not sure if it's one of these other killers. You know, I'm not sure if it's going to be Song Yadong. I mean, you get hit as much as Adrian Yanez does, and you're in there with a guy like Song Yadong, Polaracito, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a chance that, like, uh, someone could hit the deck there. And these are the kind of tests you got to pass to get to the Song Yadong. So I do think he wins this fight. I just minus 280 like tony kelly's like not a pushover man like tony kelly ain't no ho like tony kelly's not just gonna you know eat one body shot and, and decide to go home or anything like that like tony kelly's gonna be in there tooth and nail for all three rounds and i get it oh tony kelly said some mean things it's like yeah that's talking emotionally like again i don't advocate the things he said but that literally has zero impact on how i view this fight like i could care less when it comes to betting on fights if he's a nice guy or not and again i think that his girlfriend being a nazi sympathizer is 10 times worse than what tony said but i still wouldn't i mean i'm around brazilians every fucking day so you know i'd never say some shit like like he said i love i got all my love for my brazilians and not to mention y'all know i'm always at the brazilian churrascaria eating my steak medium rare that house special picanha the garlic beef the beef ribs the fraldinha yeah you, you know you know i know about my brazilian steak and also you got to get that brazilian soda the guarana that's that shit right there but anyways back to this i see this being an honest three-round fight i see these guys going toe-to-toe someone someone could go down but i think that it's gonna be an honest three-round knock let's see what these judges think you got to go with the post, the Texas poster boy in Texas. I think the judges are going to give it to him. But betting wise, there's an argument to be made for this being a dogger pass situation. Like no bullshit, man. Plus two forty on a guy like Kelly, who like win, lose or draw, is going to go out there and give it his all. And like we haven't seen too many durability concerns. The only concerns we've seen are like takedown defense. And Adrian Yanez ain't about to shoot. Adrian Yanez is going to stand and bang with him, give him the fight he wants. So who's the cleaner guy? Um, I'd say offensively speaking that Yana probably does have a bit of cleaner hands, but Yana, and he is a bit more active too. Good point, Alex. But Yana gets hit a shit ton, and Tony Kelly is going to be there to hit him a shit ton. So I could see this being fight of the night, to be honest with you. So I lean Yanez, but, I mean, I don't fault y'all for taking that shot on Tony Kelly. And, again, don't let him not being a nice guy influence how you pick this fight. You got to look at it objectively. I think that if this was in um, – I think if this was in the apex, then I'd be a lot more inclined to take the shot on uh, on Tony Kelly. But it being in Texas – you never know. I mean, are, are these judges, you know, training at uh, Adrian's gym? Do, do they know him personally? You know, the crowd pop every single time Giannis lands a shot. Crowd's going to be going crazy versus they might they might be booing Tony Kelly because he said some mean things, you know, when he was cornering uh, his girlfriend that last fight. So, yeah, um, I'll pick Giannis by a close decision here.
Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Canada's Jasmine Jasa Jas Davicius. She's seven and one, taking on Natalia Silva, representing Brazil, who's twelve and five. Currently, they got it. And Jasmine Jas Davicius minus two forty five. The comeback on Natalia Cristina da Silva is plus two hundred five. Interesting dynamic here. Um, uh, Michael said, is the moment going to be too big for Yanez? I don't think so, man. I think Yanez, I mean, how many fucking fights has Yanez had? Yanez is pretty damn experienced at this point. Um, Yanez has had, this is going to be his 19th pro fight. And this is Kelly's 11th pro fight. I don't think the moment will be too big for Yanez. It's just more so that they're going to stand and bang. And in a stand and bang fight, there's a, there's a lot of variance, man. Um, like, they're both going to be there to be hit. Who's going to land the more effective shots? Who's going to get the judges in their favor? Who's going to get the crowd in their favor? There's a lot of there's a lot of factors to consider there in this kind of fight where I'd be surprised if either guy shot a takedown. Watch them shoot a takedown right away, right? But uh, back to this Joss Davicius, Natalia Silva fight. I think on paper, the dynamic is pretty... This one might actually be pretty black and white. I mean, I think Joss Davicius... Actually, she's got a lot of physical qualities to her. Kind of a strong wrestler. I believe she's even. Don't quote me on this, but I believe she's an Olympic medalist in Canada in wrestling. Which, hey, respect. That's pretty fucking awesome. You went out there and competed for your country. Natalia Silva does not have the best takedown defense, but her specialty is those arm bars from guard. So, both fighters are going to get to fight in their realm. Like Jostavicius is going to land those takedowns, and as a result. Natalia Silva is going to get the chance to attempt those arm bars from guard. If she cannot get that arm bar, she's losing this fight. She's getting grinded out. Let me just see what the opening odds were. Let's see. Let's see what Vegas was thinking on this. Yeah, Vegas was thinking minus two sixty. Vegas was saying, nah, she she ain't getting no arm bar on Justavicius. And honestly, I, look, I think Justavicius is kind of green right now, but I think she's got a lot of qualities that can take her far. I think she's very physical for the weight class. And she's very imposing, and she's got that wrestling background. I know she lost to Elise Reed, but Elise Reed is more of a striker, just a completely different matchup. Um, whereas Natalia Silva is, you know, armbar from guard. So uh, don't get armbarred and you win this fight, right? It's just, you know, there are a lot of armbars from guard in women's MMA, but I think that, you know, that top control of the wrestler, you get past that fir- those first couple armbar attempts and, you, you know, get some nice bicep control, start to wear her out a bit then grind out the rounds. And I think a couple more fights under Jasmine's belt, and we could see her start to fight some of the more well-known names in the division. But for right now, I think this is the right kind of, you know, next move for her to just kind of start to feel more comfortable in there, start to feel like the UFC is her home a bit. And so it's just, just get a little bit more experience, a little bit more cage time. So I'm going to give it to uh, uh, Jasmine Jostavicius. I'm going to say... Uh, I'm going to say unanimous decision. Now, next up, this is going to be good. In the welterweight division, we got a match between Jeremiah Wells. He's 10-2, and two, taking on Court McGee, who's 21-10. and 10. Currently, they got it. Court McGee, minus 120. The comeback on Jeremiah Wells is plus 105. Another thing I wanted to bring up regarding this fight was the opening odds. So Vegas was saying minus 175 at Jeremiah Wells. They were thinking that... Awesome. And the other thing in Jeremiah Wells is uh, too young, too youthful for this guy. And there's a chance that might be the case. Look, I know Court McGee's had some good performances recently, especially the last one against Ramiz Brahimai. 
I don't think we can compare Ramiz Brahimai to uh, Jeremiah Wells. Look, I like Ramiz a lot. Actually, a very nice guy. Even played uh, Call of Duty with him once. So, you know, he's got my respect. He's a, he's a very nice guy. He's actually a very smart guy, too. But fighting-wise, it's, for the most part, first-round submission or bust. Whereas I think that Jeremiah Wells is a lot more athletic, a lot more explosive, has that one-hitter-quitter power, but also is um, a black belt. Is it under Daniel Gracie or under Henzo Gracie? But under uh, under a he's a black belt under a Gracie, and it's from Philly, where you know these guys like Sean Brady are coming from. Now he doesn't train with Sean Brady; he's got his own people. But um, you know Jeremiah Wells, I like what I've seen because on the regional scene. I wasn't sure he was going to cut it in the UFC, man. There was this one fight where he goes the full five-round distance. He's literally staring at his opponent. But in the UFC, he's been going after these guys. And we can okay, we can ride off the Blood Diamond fight. I mean, who the, you know, Blood Diamond's like three and two in MMA. So, that, you know, but the way he handled Worley Alves, like, that was impressive, dude. Like, that, like Worley Alves might be a stunt puller, but usually the guys that make him pull stunts, like, are established guys. Like, Brian Barberena is an established guy. Kamaru Usman is the champ. Um, who who else has beat Orly Alves? James Krause, established veteran of the sport. The fact that, you know, and usually those guys got to overcome adversity. Like, Worley even took a round off of Kamaru, <laughs> which is crazy, right? Um, Jeremiah Wells showed this guy zero respect and just went after him from the second the bell rang to the second the fight was over. So that was beautiful to see and even escape the guillotine attempt. You know, Worley is a guillotine specialist. Um I'm not going to overblow these last few Court McGee performances, man. I think this is a different matchup, and you can't forget retired fighters who I got respect for, but retired fighters like Diego Lima and Ben Saunders were out here finding a way to beat Court McGee. Court McGee's lost five of his last eight. I think that I think that Jeremiah Wells is going to be too young for him, too fresh for him, too athletic, too fast, too strong. I think he's going to find a way to win this fight. Um and I like the fact that he's the underdog here. You know, if he was slight chalk, then uh, I don't know. But here we get underdog odds. Let's find out. Let's find out. I, I like Jeremiah Wells here as an underdog shot. And uh, I think he comes out here and, and takes care of the the guy we all respect. I mean, Cor McGee. I mean, dude died and came back to life. You all know that, right? I mean, he's got a very inspiring story. He's been fighting for a long-ass time. Like, what is there not to like about Cor McGee? My boy is 37 years old, turns 38 later this year. I think he's just getting up there in age. Now, Wells, he ain't no spring chicken. He's also 35, but he's a young 35. He's a 35 that's not taking a lot of damage. He's a 35 that is trying to make a name for himself. He's hungry. He still wants to accomplish big big feats in the sport. So Brandon said you love fading the old vets, Dan. Yeah, you know I do, man. I mean, it's a profitable strategy. <laughs> I love profitable strategies. And look, and I'm not always going to be right. It doesn't have a 100% hit rate, but yeah, you're damn right. I like to fade guys that are one or two fights away from retirement. That's just, it is what it is, right? And I'm getting dog odds to do it. It's not like I'm out here slaying, laying some slight chalk on it. It's it's dog odds. So um, someone said, is Hanson supposed to be some kind of Damian Maya? Who, who, whoever said Hanson, I don't understand where this is coming from. Are y'all like having some conversation in the chat I'm unaware of? Because let, let, let's never mention Kay Hanson and Damian Maya in the, in the same sentence ever again. But I, I'm probably entering your, y'all's conversation late. But anyways, I'm going to go with Jeremiah Wells there for the underdog. He said, so Wells official bet. Well, I can't say official because I haven't bet it yet, but that's on, on my list. Like, um, I like Damir Ismagulov. I like Jeremiah Wells. Like those are potential bets I'm trying to make. Um, I just want to see what they look like on the scales and take it from there. I also like a couple things in PFL. Uh, Haush 
is plus 170. Uh, Nathan Schulte is rematching Marcin Held. I know he lost the first one. I know he's a slight favorite, but I think he might have something for him this time. Just got off to a little bit of a slow start last time. I think he can correct that, and I think he can break a guy like Held. But we'll get to that later. Um, but y'all know, y'all know where to see my bets when I post them on my bet MMA tips. I haven't made a bet since the Rockets fight. You know that really bummed me out, left a sour taste in my mouth. Like you dominate round two, and then your knee blows out. And people can talk about checks all they want, but I, I, I call bullshit on that. When when there's an injury due to a check, that's a shin breaking. Your knee blowing out is not because of a check. You had an injury in the camp. It was unfortunate. So that kind of left a sour taste in my mouth, and I'm not one to force bets. Uh, I have to truly be feeling it, and I, th- and I feel like this week I'm feeling it again. So, yeah, I I do expect to make some bets, and you all know where to follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks, or my bet MMA tips is also Best Fight Picks. My picks are free, so, yeah, if I post something, you'll know exactly where to find it. Now, next up in the featherweight division, Danny Chavez is 11-4, and four, taking on Hikardo Hamosh, who is 15-4. Currently, they got it. Hikardo Hamosh, minus 250. The comeback on Danny Chavez is plus 210. This is a good fight. Listen, Ricardo Ramos... Is it Hikardo Hamosh or is it Ricardo Ramos? But either way, <laughs> my, uh, my boy giving me props. Uh, dude hasn't made a bet since Rakic, and he is out here breaking this down for us. What a lad. Oh, I appreciate that, man. Hey, listen, you know, uh, um, you can still give analysis. You can still give your thoughts. Um, but also, like I told you earlier, I'm not going to be the guy who doesn't put money on something and then goes – and starts bragging about how I was right on some pick and this that. Like, if I'm going to quote-unquote brag, then money needs to be put down, you know? So, yeah, y'all you, know how I operate by now for the most part. Some still don't. Some still hate on me, but it is what it is. I got y'all that got my back, and I truly appreciate y'all being here. So thank you very much. And smash that like button, hit the subscribe button, and thank you guys again. But anyways, what I like about this fight between Danny Chavez and Ricardo Ramos is – I've been waiting for Ricardo Ramos to finally put it together, man. I mean, we've seen these flashes of brilliance. He's only 26 years old, and he's a guy that the UFC has had their eye on for a very long time. I mean, I remember back when he fought Manny Vasquez in 2016 in LFA, before LFA was called LFA, back when they were called Legacy, and Dana sat front row. He fought Manny Vasquez. He actually got choked out in the first round, but then they gave him another opportunity on Dana White looking for a fight. They put him in there with the guy that Sean O'Malley beat on Contender Series, uh, Alfred Kashakian, and he showed out. Uh, Ricardo Ramos did the thing. So then after that, they gave him his UFC opportunity. And man, I mean, like we've seen these little flashes of brilliance here and there. We've also seen some hit and miss performances. The talent's there. The talent is there. I mean, this guy will do some really unorthodox things. He's beat some good names. I mean, he beat Kyung Ho Kang. He gave Bill Algio a tour of the octagon. Like, I like this kid a lot, man. And sometimes you'll see spinning back elbow knockouts. You'll see some funky stuff off his back. Like, his hands are starting to get a bit sharper. I'm saying when this kid finally puts it all together, I think, you know, in a couple of years, he could be a top 15 guy. Um, And even the last fight he lost against Tukugov, although he lost that fight, I thought it was a step in the right direction. Like, because usually when he's losing fights, he's getting ran through. He did not get ran through there. He put up a put up a tough fight, man. Dominic brought up a good point. He started in his career like Charlie O. Exactly. The kid's figuring things out. Uh, But I think the talent is 100% there. Now, with this guy, Danny Chavez, I guess what we got to accept is that, look, he's 35 years old, so he's, you know, flat out in his prime we're not going to be seeing any major leaps. Like what you see is what you get with Danny Chavez. He's a finished product. 
and I'd say his best attribute are are is calf kicks, man. Like that first fight against TJ Brown. TJ Brown's a better wrestler than Danny Chavez, and boy, did he immobilize TJ Brown with those calf kicks. And Ricardo Ramos being kind of a longer, taller guy for the weight class. You know, he's five foot nine, which is a bit. You know, he's a longer, skinnier guy for uh, featherweight. You gotta be careful, man. He's got them chicken legs, and a guy like Danny Chavez comes from that MMA Masters camp. I mean, you know, like his teammate Miguel Baeza, also a very good calf kicker. Like we know exactly what they want to do, and there's there's a chance that you know it only takes a couple calf kicks to immobilize someone. It only takes you know three or four of them. So Ricardo Ramos has got to be cognizant of that. However, I feel like if he is cognizant of that, if he can avoid that, I think that he's probably got. Danny Chavez covered everywhere else. And I'm hoping that with a kid this young, 26 years old, that we finally do start to see, because we've seen the flashes throughout the years. Like, I want to see that complete performance. I want to see him go out there and shine. And this could be that time. According to the odds, this is that time. Uh, let me check where it opened real quick. So it opened. Minus 310. So according to Vegas, this is that time. According to Vegas, this is this is his coming out party. So let's see. Let's see. I mean, I got Ricardo Ramos here. He's my pick. Um, it's just, you know, I want I want to see this kid finally live up to the potential that I've been seeing for so many years and go out there and do something special out there and start to go on a win streak, eventually crack the rankings and do what I know he's capable of, but it's up to him. So I think he gets past Danny Chavez and uh, let's see how he performs. Next up in the strawweight division, we got a matchup between Gloria De Paula. She's six and four, taking on Maria Oliveira, who is 12 and five. Currently they got it. Gloria De Paula minus 275. Holy shit. The comeback on Maria Oliveira Mota is plus 235. I mean, y'all, listen, I think that Gloria de Paula is a lot better than her 6-4 and four record indicates, and I think that she's actually got very nice variety on the feet. It's just more of a thing of her starting to feel comfortable inside the octagon, feeling like she belongs, kind of getting, you know, getting kind of like a handle on the nerves because the Contender Series fight was beautiful, in my opinion, and we've seen little flashes here and there, just needs a little more seasoning, needs a little more experience. Whereas with Maria Oliveira, like that fight against Marina Rodriguez on contender series, like I know it's Marina, I know Marina's gonna fight for a title soon, but like it was not a good look to tap to strike standing, to to wave a fight off and say no more. Like I get it, lift the fight another day. It's not she had no chance of winning that fight, but like I can literally name two hundred fighters that would have shown more heart in a spot like that. But then on the other side of things. She was in there with, with Baby Shark, with, with Ricci, who is a black belt, and she didn't get submitted. So give her a little credit there. I'm not comfortable laying no minus 275 on Gloria de Paula. I'm not at all, but I, I do think that this is a fight that she gets done. Let me just check where the odds opened. Okay, so Vegas was thinking slightly closer. Vegas was thinking minus 175. I think that's probably a bit more accurate. So yeah, I'm going to go Gloria de Paula of a unanimous decision. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Cody Stamen. He's 19 and 5, taking on Eddie Wineland, who was 24 and 15. Currently, they got it. Cody Stamen minus, holy shit, minus, just fucking depends where you look. <laughs> I see minus 550. I see minus 714. The comeback on Eddie Wineland is plus 400. So, shout out to Eddie Wineland, another guy I grew up watching, former WEC champion. If y'all have never seen Eddie Wineland's 
fight against Ken Stone where he knocks him out with a slam. One of the most brutal knockouts I've ever seen. And, man, Eddie Wineland, um, back in his day, man, I mean, you got to love the hands. You got to love the takedown defense. Does fight with his hands down and his chin up. That's plagued him in the past. Even the first uh, big underdog I ever hit was actually Johnny Eduardo against Eddie Wineland. It was like plus 700 back in the day for that very reason that Eddie fights with that chin up and the hands down. But, man, Eddie's a legend. Eddie's got my respect. Again, former WEC champ. Guys, after this video, go watch that Ken Stone knockout on Fight Pass from the WEC. I'm telling y'all, like, he picks this guy up and slams him and knocks him unconscious. Absolutely vicious. Unfortunately, my boy Eddie Wineland is damaged goods. And, you know, you hate to see it, but that's that's the fight game. That's how these things go, you know. About to be uh, 38 next week and or in two weeks or so and it's taking too much damage the thing with cody stamen is that like he's definitely not a finisher especially at the ufc um level but he's very good at winning rounds and he's good at doing just enough to to get these wins and that's something i've always admired about him and he's good everywhere the fight goes he's a very competent guy it's just i guess the big question is when you're when you're talking about a price like this is it going to be a unanimous decision or is it going to be a finish no, on normal circumstances, I'd say unanimous decision. However, now I'm seeing guys that w wouldn't even be able to sniff Eddie Wyland's jockstrap finishing him. Like Castaneda finished him in the first round. Like, no disrespect, Castaneda, he looked amazing against Miles Johns, talented guy himself. But like, I'm telling y'all, a couple of years ago, Eddie Wyland would have taught that kid a lesson. And the fact that Eddie Wyland's getting knocked out by guys like that now, it's just, you know, it sucks when the guys you grew up watching you know, are, are washed up now. And that's, that's where, uh, that's where Eddie is now. So Cody Stamen's the pick. It's just a question of, is he going to finish him or not? I don't know, but Cody Stamen's the pick, you know, it's, it, it doesn't take, it doesn't take much, you know, courage or smarts to pick a minus 700 favorite, but yeah, I got Cody. Next up in the in the middleweight division, we got a matchup between Phil Haas. He's eleven and three, taking on Deron Wynn, who is seven and two. Currently, they got Phil Haas minus two seventy. The comeback on Deron Wynn's plus two thirty. Also curious where this one opened. It opened minus two forty. Phil Haas plus two hundred five wins. So, like, listen, um, Phil Haas has literally every single thing I want in a fighter, except the chin. <laughs> D1 wrestler, physical specimen, one hitter quitter power. He's beat some legit guys too. I mean, y'all saw how he handled Imavov. Now, some people, yeah, there were some sketchy moments, but like to grind out a guy like Imavov, who's a top 15 guy now, is no easy feat. Y'all saw what he did uh to Kyle Dacus to grind a guy like to break a guy like that is no easy feat. Like, I think Phil Haas is so damn legit. It's just if this guy had a chin, I think he could be a top ten guy. I think he could I think he could like really be that guy. Like he like what does Phil Haas not have besides a chin? Again, D1 wrestler, one hitter quitter power, physical specimen. It literally has everything except a chin, and it's just so unfortunate. And then with Duran Wynn. <laughs> Oh my God. You know this guy, Duran Wynn. What do they got him listed as? Let me check real quick. 
They got him listed at 5'6. Dude is not 5'6. Dude is like 5'4 between you and me. The guy's 5'4 fighting at 185 pounds. He's a poor man's version of Daniel Cormier. And Michael said 5'6. Dude, he is not 5'6. He's not 5'6. I'm like 5'8, and I was towering over this fucking guy. He ain't no 5'6. He's, he's like 5'8. Excuse me, he's like 5'4. <laughs> Maybe five four with shoes on. You know what I'm saying, dude. <laughs> uh, but hey, props to you, man. I, I respect it, though. I respect it. Like for me, like who, listen, I, I'm not. I'm not a fighter or anything like that. But now that I am competing in jujitsu, and I'm the shorter guy in my weight classes, you know, I'm like five eight, and I'm in there with guys that are like six two, six three, um, at light heavyweight, which was what my last one was at. I respect it. You know, it's balls and courage all that stuff i respect it dude but when you're going up against the best guys in the world and but here's the thing in jujitsu there's no punches to the face in jujitsu there's no knees to the face in jujitsu there's no kicks to the face you understand what i'm saying so i can get away with a lot of things in jujitsu but in mma there are all those things and it's not gonna take much for uh Phil Haas to lift one little knee up and and knock this guy on contact. Did y'all know that for Deron Wynn's debut fight, he, he fought Eric Spicely, but originally he was supposed to fight uh, Bruno Blindado Silva. You know, Bruno Blindado was going to knock this dude's head into the fifth row, and I even had my uh, my baseball glove with me because I wanted to catch Deron Wynn's head kind of like we catch the foul ball at the baseball game or the home run, you know what I'm saying? And uh, It's too bad that fight never happened, but Here's the thing. I guess Duran has a puncher's chance. I mean, I don't see him. I know Duran's a wrestler, but I don't see him taking down Haas for the sole fact that Haas, Haas is a D1 wrestler, man. Like, Haas is not some easy guy to take down. Now, it might be tough to take down Win too, because he's a he's five foot four. He's got that low center of gravity. It's kind of hard to take down those short, stocky guys. Um, I can attest to that. Uh, but uh, unless Duran Wynn touches that chin of Phil Haas, he is losing this fight, and he's losing this fight in every aspect of this fight. Um, dude should he should be fighting at like bantamweight or featherweight, but he can't. Make, dude cannot make bantamweight or featherweight. He's got, you know, he's he's too thick for that. So at least should be fighting at seventies, and even there, he's way too short. He's too short for fifty fives. Let's, let's let's call it how it is. But yeah, so. Phil Haas, don't get knocked out and you win this fight literally everywhere it goes. So, yeah, Phil Haas is my pick. And last but not least, kicking off the card, also in the middleweight division, we got the aforementioned Kyle Dacus. He's 11-2, taking on Georgia's Roman Dolidze, who was 9-1. Y'all know J.P. Baez is fighting Cody Durden the week after. It's too bad they couldn't get... Um, JP buys and Roman on the same card would have made some for some nice content, but uh, currently they got it. Kyle Dawkins minus two sixty. The comeback on Roman, the leads day is plus two twenty. So another one where it's like I lean a certain way, but the odds aren't indicative of a lean. Minus two sixty five is not indicative of a lean. Minus two sixty five indicates domination, and when you look at Roman Dulize. You look at the one fight he lost. Look, I definitely thought he lost it, but I thought it was kind of like a split decision type fight. If it's a split decision type fight, then there's value at these plus 225 odds. Like, I'm very curious to see the approach here. I do think that Dacus's hands have been getting better. 
Um, I also think that Dolidze probably has a bit more power than him. The issue with Dolidze is, you know, he's a bit of a leg lock guy. My issue with leg lock guys is when they don't get that leg lock, they end up laying on their back. You end up laying on your back against a guy like uh, Kyle Dacus. He's most likely going to grind you out. Now, the reason that Dana White didn't sign Dacus initially off contender series, his reasoning was Kyle Dacus doesn't put the stamp on things. And I need someone to put the stamp on things if I'm laying minus 265, right? So, yeah, I might lean Dacus to edge it out. But minus 265 are not edge it out type odds. I want domination for edging it out. Uh, the Man Cave MMA says he's got Dacus via via sub. He says Roman's IQ, IQ is Jiri level. Uh, Jiri's a world champ, bro. <laughs> Jiri just tapped out a third-degree black belt. So I think comparing him to Jiri is a compliment, although I personally would not compare him to Jiri. It's just about, like, the leads there. Are we going to be, you know, landing some hard shots on the feet and then drop back for what well, he said world champ barely i'm pretty sure he's got that belt at his house so uh oh man you gotta stop he's saying glover wanted out dude glover was exhausted did you see that fight the pace they were fighting at those dudes were exhausted man and those long arms of jiri get under your neck you got that element of surprise i'm not, I'm not gonna argue with you man because i think we're gonna disagree on this one buddy but you cannot take anything away from two absolute studs and warriors and champions like Glover and Jiri, who just put on the best fight of the year. And Jiri is the champ, by the way. He said, Glover wanted out in the last 30 seconds, man. Come on. I mean, Glover was exhausted. Glover had nothing left. And there was a locked-in Mata Leon rear naked choke under his neck. So, I mean, either tap or go to sleep. I, mean, I guess he could have gone to sleep, but he, shit was locked in. It is what it is, brother. But uh, <laughs> Brandon said, "This guy, I, I know it's a man. I still appreciate you being here. Listen, I'm from the United States, even though I'm first generation American. I'm from the United States, and we're allowed to have a difference of opinion um, as long as we're respectful. Even if we're not respectful, we're allowed to have difference of opinion. So I still appreciate you being here and contributing to the chat, brother. Um, even if I wholeheartedly disagree with you. <laughs> um, but uh, back to this." I need domination for minus 265. Like, I, I I need guarantees of a finish. I need guarantees of a 30-27. I don't have those guarantees. That makes it a that makes it a dog or pass situation. I lean Dacus. I think he's slightly ahead. But I, I think I think Delice can make it close, man. So with that being said, dog or pass. All right. Let's talk about the fight to watch and fighter to watch. Before I do that, is anybody interested in some PFL picks? If not, I'll just get out of here after the um after the fight to watch and fighter to watch so fight to watch has got to be Demiris Magula versus Guram Kutatelaze like I mentioned already I consider both these guys top 15 guys right now I mean like like I've been saying for a long time on this show a lot of these people that are currently ranked are going to be ushered out the rankings like you mean to tell me that Demiris Magulov can't beat Tony Ferguson and Dan Hooker you understand what I'm saying like Neil Magny's ranked ahead of Shafkat Rachmanov. Shafkat is about to handle that, get him out get him out the top 10, you know? So a lot of people are about to be ushered out the rankings. And then this kid, Guram, comes out of nowhere, beats Gamra in his debut. Like, it's going to be a serious-ass fight. What do the judges like better? The pinpoint the pinpoint punches of Demiris Magulov or the hard-kicking game of Guram 
Kutate Ladze. I'm excited. And my fighter to watch is going to be, let's go Jeremiah Wells. I, I still have a lot of questions. I still feel like I don't quite know much about Jeremiah Wells, but what I have seen in the UFC, I've liked. Outside the UFC, I wasn't so sure, but in the UFC, I've liked it a lot. So but this is a big test. Uh, I mean, Cormac, he's a guy. Y'all know he's got a win over Robert Whitaker, right? Like back in the day, long ass time ago, but still on his resume. Um, and if you're not quite ready for a guy on Court McGee's level, he'll handle you accordingly. So I want to see where Jeremiah Wells is at. And for that reason, he's my fighter to watch. So some of y'all said you want some PFL picks. All right, let's take a look at this PFL card. I'm going to it. So if any of y'all are going to be in attendance at the PFL event tomorrow or the one next week or the one the week after, make sure y'all stop by and say hello because I will be there. And I'm very much looking forward to it. All right, so main event, Clay Collard, Alex Martinez. You know, I bet Clay Collard that last fight against Jeremy Stevens, but it was like plus 110, I think, plus 105, I don't remember, maybe even plus 120. Clay Collard's a guy I like to bet at dog money because he's going to go for it 100%, but he's also there to be hit. He's a very vulnerable guy. So, like, when we're talking minus 180, it's a bit much when the guy leaves as many openings as he does. He's willing to take risks. That's why we love him so much. Goes balls to the wall. It's just that... You know, minus 180, I need him to be a little bit. It's not that he's sloppy. It's just that he's, the guy's got big balls and he goes for it, man. So on one hand, I like that a lot. Your your guy's going to go for it. But let's get Alex Martinez. He's young. He's hungry. He's trying to make a name for himself. Just beat an established UFC vet and Stevie Ray. You know, that's got to give him a lot of confidence. So I see it being a good fight. I do do lean Clay Collard. I I think he's farther ahead, but. Don't sleep on Alex Martinez. I think he's a young, hungry kid trying to make a name for himself. Antonio Carlos Jr. versus Bruno Bruce Soto. I see Carlos Jr. It's minus 1,000. I see Carlos Jr. taking this guy's back one time and choking him out. Haush Manfio versus Olivier Aubin Mercier. Haush is plus 170. I like him in this spot. I think that Olivier Aubin Mercier is going to get off to a good start. You know, Olivier Aubin Mercier, very hard body kicks. His hands have been getting better along the year, along, you know, over the years. Um, he can mix in, you know, the occasional takedown or two. He's got a bit of a judo game from time to time. Um, but Haush is one of those guys that can steal rounds. Haush is a guy that can be losing the entire round, land that big knockdown, land that big takedown, steal the rounds towards his favor. And he's got a great history as an underdog, especially against a guy like OEM who starts strong but fades late. Um, I'm gonna take the plus 170 on Haush. Jeremy Stevens versus Miles Price. Jeremy's minus eight hundred, minus one, uh, minus eight hundred. Like someone was saying, listen, I get it. You don't want to lay that on a forty-year-old fighter, but this dude, Miles Price, has zero business in there with him. This is the easiest fight that Jeremy Stevens has had in goddamn what since since the Danny Downs fight in like twenty twelve or whatever. Since the Estevan Payan fight. No disrespect. Um, hey guys, be nice to each other in the chat. It's all good, y'all. It's all it's all good. Like let's let's be nice. Um, <laughs> y'all are going after it, man. Hey, come come to my gym. We can settle it. Y'all sign the waiver. Do a five minute round. I'll referee it, and it'll all be fun and good. Uh, Team Octopus, Sandy Springs. That's my gym. I just think this kid Miles Price has no business in there with Jeremy Stevens. Um, it, it's just a thing where Jeremy Stevens, he's getting up there in age. You don't want to lay a price like that on him. Um, but y'all uh, go to my YouTube channel, hit the subscribe button, check out what I, my interview with Jeremy Stevens. He said Miles is going to pay the price. And I can see it, man. This is like such a tune-up fight for Jeremy Stevens. Like if Jeremy can't win this fight, Jeremy's got to retire, man. 
man. Like, I'm not saying Jeremy's going to beat any of the other guys, but this guy, I think Jeremy is going to take the school. I think this guy is the weakest link of the whole tournament. So give me Jeremy Stevens. Omari Akhmedov versus the Theodorus guy. Um, Omari's minus 500. I, I think Omari gets it done as long as he doesn't pull an epic gassing stunt like he's done many times before. But I think at 205, he's starting to feel better about himself. Um, he's got a lot of confidence off that last win. And he's just so much more experienced than this kid. Uh, so give me Omari Akhmedov to win this fight. Just please don't gas out down the stretch and get finished. Nathan Schulte and Marcin Held. I know oftentimes when you see a guy who lost the first fight as the favorite, it can be a little sketchy, and I understand why, but I still think that these guys run it back a few more times, and I think Nathan Schulte is getting a few more of those. The issue with Nathan Schulte is a bit of a slow starter, but Nathan Schulte is the, that guy that is like a boogeyman, will walk you down, will systematically break you down as the fights progress, and Marcin Held is the guy that can be broken. And not to mention, when they fought, Nathan Schulte was just coming off winning the million-dollar tournament twice in a row. I mean, when you won that kind of money, you've never seen money like that in your life. Probably, who knows if he was even motivated, but now he's taking a couple losses. I think he's probably got his head back on straight, and I think I think he's ready to prove a point here. So I got Nathan Schulte. Emiliano Sordi versus Delan Monte. Emiliano Sordi, when I spoke to him, check it out on my YouTube channel, he said he wants a quick one-minute fight. Does that mean that he's going to gas out considerably if it goes past the first minute? I don't know. See, I don't know shit about his opponent, Delan Monte. I probably should have looked into him more, but let's go with Sordi. If Sordi is minus 400, I'm assuming there's a reason behind that. Uh, Robert Wilkinson, Victor Pesta, two former UFC vets, but the thing is Victor Pesta... I haven't really seen much change from him. Look, he dropped the weight class, but it's still the same old Victor Pesta, whereas uh, uh, Rob Wilkinson, like, I don't know what supplement plan he's been on. I don't know what kind of Flintstone vitamins he's been taking, but goddamn, he looks like a new man. I mean, from the guy that lost to Izzy and CR in the UFC to what I've been seeing in PFL, not even the same guy. So I think Rob Wilkinson takes care of him. Josh Silvera versus Martin Hamlet. Martin Hamlet, a very strong physical wrestler. The issue is that sometimes he runs himself into the ground with that style. And Josh Silvera, former LFA champ. I lean Josh Silvera is just, even in fights that Martin Hamlet loses, he still has some early success from time to time. So he could win a round or two, and he's a big dog here. Not a big dog, but a plus 160 dog here. I, I lean Josh Silvera. And then the last fight, Bruno Miranda versus Nate Jennerman. I don't, I don't really know much about either guy. I know that uh, Nate Jennerman's got the name Nasty Nate, like my, like my brother Nasty Nate. Uh, shout out to Nate Williams. Um, I don't know much about him besides that he trains at Rufus Sports, so I don't have a pick there. Um, he said, Dan, you look fresher when you have the shades on, brother. Uh, appreciate it, man. Hey, always trying to look fresh. Shades, no shades. But, you know, I was really feeling the shades when I was wearing them. But now, you know, you just got to you just gotta do what, what you feel, you know. Uh, he said, letting fans hop on. Yeah, I'd let, uh, I'm down to talk to the fans, but right now I actually got some dinner arrangements I got to go to, so I'm going to end the podcast now. Guys, thank you all so much for being here on this very special UFC Austin edition of Half the Battle. Everybody do me a huge favor. Smash the like button. Hit the subscribe button. Share, comment, retweet. Let's help this channel grow. Let's help the show grow. And if, if you guys truly enjoy this show, like do me a favor and like post a tweet. Mention one thing you liked about it that was different than a different than than some other show. Like, like let's get the word out because I feel like when I had COVID and I had to take like two three months off, I feel like some people like forgot about me, man. And I'm in here 
you know, I'm not trying to compare myself to anybody else, but I'm in here passionate about this. I'm in here really loving this again. And I truly appreciate everybody's support. So, you know, I just need the fans to get behind me. So if y'all get behind me, that's how we're going to grow this. So I just appreciate y'all, you know, taking a second out of your day to, to hit that like button, to hit the subscribe, to to tweet something nice, to comment on this, to share, whatever the case may be. So truly, truly appreciate y'all. Thank you so much for everything, guys. Um, I'll be back hopefully on Tuesday with Anthony Pettis. That'd be nice if not with someone else. Dan's Tuesday Night Contender is back. And then Thursday for the next card. If you guys are going to be at PFL, um, I'll be there tomorrow. I'll be there next Friday, and I'll be there the Friday after. So don't be a stranger. Make sure you all come up and say hi to me. You can follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. You can follow the podcast at Half the Battle HQ on Twitter. And then you can follow the podcast at Half the Battle Pod on Instagram. Um, my personal Instagram is DFL on drums. I, I It's no longer private. Um and then subscribe to Half the Battle everywhere podcasts are found. So thank you guys again so much for your support. Truly, truly appreciate it. And until the next time, let's cash these bets. <laughs>